0: Now to the book of Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, and we would consider, in our know, reading the first 21 verses. I have changed my mind since the announcement of the theme of the sermon. The bulletin is due and the theme of the sermon is based on the verses 17 through 21, so we'll take special note of that and especially the one word of the awesome day of the Lord that's announced as being fulfilled on Pentecost, verse 20. I want to consider that and consider also that The King James Version has notable day, and I believe that's more accurate because there's something of revelation here, amazing, awesome things going on of revelation, and we should note that, and that was the purpose of Peter's sermon, part of which we'll read. Acts 2, 1 through 21, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said they are full of new wine. They're drunk. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit, of my spirit, on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood. Before the great the coming of the great and awesome or notable day of the Lord. and it shall come to pass that whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thus far we read God's inspired word. we trust that the Spirit has been moving us to receive that word, and now the word that is preached. Pentecost is fully come. That's the announcement in the Word of God, verse 1 of chapter 2 of Acts. Pentecost was an Old Testament feast day. And the word penta means 50th. And the feast day points us to the fact that there were 50 days after the beginning of the Passover feast and harvest. And then there was a celebration 50 days after that beginning of the full provision of God. It's connected with the feast of the Passover and occurs after that some 50 days. It is fully come. That's the significance of Acts chapter 2 and of the entire New Testament and of why we're sitting here. The fulfillment of Pentecost and all of the Old Testament pictures of Pentecost and teachings of the Pentecost and the harvest feasts is upon us. The presence of God in his spirit. And this all through Jesus Christ, let us not forget, through the Passover atoning lamb that was slain. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of them that slept in his resurrection. And 50 days after his resurrection, after he rises, he sends forth his spirit upon the church to gather in the church into his salvation and life. This is a notable day, and it occurs in last days. Peter reminds us as he quotes the prophet Joel, who speaks of the fact that this would occur in last days. Verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then we're reminded that this is just before the coming of the great and Awesome or notable day of the Lord, even a presage of it is Pentecost, an inkling of it in verse 20. It is a notable day, notable for salvation, notable is Pentecost for judgment, for in this, speaking in all tongues, God is going to other nations than the Jews whom he has rejected in their way of rejecting Messiah. It is marked by marvelous signs and wonders. Who can miss them? It is marked by the announcement that this is the fulfillment of the very word of God of the last days and of the notable day of the Lord, which will usher in the end of time and eternity. Pentecost fully come, notable in itself, a significant event in the history of God's redemption of his people And his judgment upon the wicked. Notable. Awesome. As the new King James says. And this I suppose would be more in the uh, language of the people of the day. Speaking always of this and that as awesome. But I wonder. I wonder if there's anyone who's really thinking, believing and feeling that Pentecost is as awesome and notable and as it is a prediction of the notable day of the Lord in our land. I wonder, at this time, in fact, many mocked, mocked this whole event. Why are they speaking? They must be drunk, they were saying. And they would say as well by their continued resistance to the Holy Ghost and to Jesus that they were not of the people of God. Many today mock. Pentecost, if they even know of it. Striking that even though there are many in America still who are what we would call C and E Christians, Christmas and Easter Christians, I hardly think there's anyone who's a C and an E and a P Christian. Where the Pentecost, they don't know what that is. And I believe there's something significant to that which reveals the superficiality of their, Chris, their Christianity They don't get the Spirit. They have not received him. And there's a spiritless, formal Christianity that is to be noted and is noted by God. Beloved, for a notable Pentecost and renewal of our lives in the Spirit, for sovereign grace... URC Church and the families and individuals represented here, may we receive the spirit and the truth afresh today. Let's consider this day of Pentecost, and then secondly, that this comes at a significant time and ushers in a significant time uh, notably the last days. It comes to pass in the last days. That's something amazingly gospel there of our days. And then finally, since it's notable, we ought to note it. And I wonder if we really are. Oh, beloved, the Spirit's poured out Shall come to pass in the last days, says God now through Peter. These things of this Pentecost fully done, these signs of fire, flaming tongues of fire on the heads of the 120 gathered in the upper room at Jerusalem, these speaking in other languages, and this wonderful sound of the rushing mighty wind that's the spirit. It signifies the spirit of God and Joel noted in chapter 2 of his prophecy, we'll return to that, but Peter notes it here in our text, this was the day when God poured out and did pour out his spirit. We want to say of this, first of all, something we need to remember because we love God. The day of Pentecost, beloved, was nothing less or different than a flood of God. God flooded the place. He's poured out in the place. And this is because this is the spirit of God. You know what God says to the prophet and now Peter announces in the Pentecostal preaching. God says, I will pour out of my spirit. It doesn't say there... My spirit, but of my spirit. It's as if he's reminding us, you can only have what I will give you of my spirit. I'll give you of my spirit. God, if he would be with us in all of his magnificence, awesomeness, and notability, he'd kill us. He's too much for us to handle, but he gives us of his spirit. And that's to say he's giving us of himself, and he's giving the church of himself, This is what the Old Testament believers always believed of the Spirit of God. And this is what the New Testament believers always believe of the Spirit of God. He's God. He pours out as God of of his Spirit, of, of himself. Jesus announced in John 14, 15, and 16... This spirit would be sent from the Father and of the Son. And Acts 2.33 reminds us that Jesus is risen to receive from the Father, the, the Spirit to pour out upon the church. This all reminds us that we have nothing less in Pentecost than a visit, a flood of God. He's very God, coequal with God, the Father and God, the Son. He's not a mere force or something that comes out of God. Uh, that, that comes out of God as if he's distinct from God. He comes from God as God to be with us. He's the third person of the Trinity, but not in rank. But there's a different uh, uh, personal property in work that he does, especially seen in the working out or economy of salvation. God comes in Christ incarnate, in the Spirit, in the Spirit. So that there be a presence of God even greater than the presence of God in the incarnate, in the flesh, Jesus. That's why we don't want to go back. Oh, I wish Jesus were here in the flesh. No, don't do that. He's sent of himself in sending the Spirit. And the Father is sent of himself in sending the Spirit. And there is then this holy communion of the triune God in the Spirit in the church. This is Pentecost, and he gives of his spirit heavenly gifts, makes the church his holy temple, gives himself to the church as the spirit even of Christ. That's what Galatians 4 says he is. He's my spirit, the spirit of the triune God, and he's the spirit of the Christ of God. Particularly concerned he is to apply the redemption accomplished on the cross so that Calvary there and then becomes this Calvary here and now. So then it happened. Jesus in the body, pouring out his his life blood for us, now is... Realized in us, and there's this participation of all the things of Jesus, his death, his atonement, and his resurrection, his life. He is the revealer and bestower of redemption. This is the day of inspiration, we could say, when there's this amazing pouring out. Now, let's be clear here. When the Bible says that the Spirit's poured out, it's not saying that in the Old Testament, no Spirit. No, 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 no Spirit. Jesus reminds us in John 7, when he even says that in the Old Testament, the Spirit was not yet, that he was speaking in John 7 of the fact that the Spirit as of himself glorified was not yet. David had the Spirit. King David even said, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. All believers had the Holy Spirit. There's no way else to be saved. Believers were forgiven then, and they were comforted in this, and they were assured of their salvation then all through the Word and through the Spirit which spoke to them, to their hearts, and comforted them and and promised that there would be a further real in flesh reality of their salvation in this Messiah to come. And that's the difference between the Old and New Testament. Things are promised then and there that are realized, and now and here in Pentecost we see it. Things of the harvest of God, for example, to relate to the feasts that are being pictured here were things of wheat and barley and oats and so on. But now there's the harvest of souls. And the spirit poured out upon all flesh here reminds us of the wonderful fulfillment of the promise even made to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. In fact, remember when he's visited by God at different times in Genesis 11 and 12 and following, his name is first Abram, children. But then, because he would be the father of nations, he's, his name is changed to realize what that means, Abraham, father of nations. And this is realized here. And the wonderful day of the church is such that there's a reversal, even, of the, poor, of, of the curse on, of Babel. Remember that in the early chapters of Genesis? The people try to get together in disobedience to God who said, don't get together, go into all the world and, and populate the place to my glory. Well, they try to get together because they think they have a better plan than God. That's the first where two and three are gathered together. Their God is not. Because they build this Babel, whatever it was, this great tower, and their goal, their principal goal, was to make a name unto man. Let's make a name for ourselves. And God cursed them, remember that? Confused the tongues, made it so that there was the beginning of this war and warring in society, this misunderstanding. It made it also so that the church could survive and there wouldn't be one united society against the church, though in these last days that's coming. When everybody's going to be for Antichrist and against the church. Well, this is all reversed here. We see in principle that is, as a beginning, there is the speaking of Christ, all in different languages. And I don't know, can't really explain that miracle so well, but it was in other languages that people were from here were understanding people from there. That people here were speaking to those who were there who never learned their language, but God was giving them the language, indicating the great communicator that God is, even through people. And not in the need of educating them, but simply moving them to speak the truth to those of his good pleasure. Poured out, lavished upon us. Joel, in the prophecy of Joel that's quoted here in chapter 2, he speaks in verse 23 and following of this day in which we should be glad and rejoice in the Lord Because it says he has given you the former rain faithfully and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The former and the latter rain together. There's going to be a flood. And this is what he's speaking of. And verse 28 picks up on that. He says that afterward will come to pass that I will pour out my spirit and all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and so on. There's this lavishness, this abundance, this mighty rushing stream of God, and of the truth of the salvation of God. It's like a birthday, it was not of the church. Remember that, not of the church. That's inaccurate. There was a church in the Old Testament, the church in the wilderness. Peter or, or uh, Stephen speaks of that. In Acts chapter 7, as a church in the wilderness. The people of God in the wilderness is always called the church, the gathering out, uh, the, the gathered out of this world people, the ecclesia. But now, here's why Pentecost is a birthday it's the birthday of the New Testament church, the church that has it all, that has God that has salvation, that has Jesus. And, and you see this in the fruit. These people are so moved that they cannot help but speak the wonderful things of God. And Peter reminds them that this is exactly what happens in the New Testament. I'm pouring out my spirit and, and hold on for the ride, as it were. Get ready for this, or you can't get ready for this. Just observe and and receive and, and be glad for this stream and for this wind of God and for this freedom and for this advancement of knowledge so that everyone, all flesh on whom this is poured, and that's not everyone head for head, but it's Jews and Gentiles gathered there at Pentecost, but especially the Jews from the nations called the diaspora, those who had left and never returned after the captivity, that represent this whole world that's going to be called to be God's new world, God's people. And high and low, men and women, children, and even ministers will speak the things of the Spirit who enlightens them, ignites them, moves them, fills them. So there's this great advance. And I want to speak now of the fact that this is something that occurs in the last days. Amazing truth here. And a lot of misunderstanding about this. Some people think that Pentecost was not only the beginning of the last days but it was the, the 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 end of time in fact. Some people think that Pentecost was when God said I'm going to really end all things and this generation will not pass until Jesus comes again. And maybe he came again in 70 AD, which would be some 20 or, or 40 years after Pentecost, when Jerusalem was destroyed. Some people think, this is it. This is it. And all the signs of, and even the, the, uh, the darkening of the sun and the reddening of the moon have already occurred in all their fullness. And they deny that this last days here, that is announced by Peter as having come, is simply a reference to the fact that there is a beginning here of the end of time, not the complete end of time. You note, in verse 20, it says that these signs will come, prophesying especially, wonders in heaven and on earth, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. That is yet to come. However, at the same time, there is this thing that has come. The last days are defined as this. The days since Jesus has come in the flesh, died and rose again, since his coming, death and rising again, unto the end of time. These are all the last days. Hebrews 1 describes these days as the latter days. God spoke in the former days, Old Testament, in various ways and means like visions and dreams. But now in these days, he's spoken to us by his son, distinguishing between the advancement of revelation and the progress of the redemptive work of God. And so... This is what happens. And when Jesus came, John comments that the law came by Moses, Old Testament, but grace and truth have come by Jesus Christ. Not that there was no grace and truth in Moses, but there's a fulfillment an advancement and a a wonderful enlightenment with regard to the progress of God's own counsel. These days... Are the days after which there's no more significant event even in God's plan except the end of time? In the Old Testament, there were all things that had to happen, like the coming of Jesus, the death of Him who is the Passover Lamb, the real Passover Lamb, and Pentecost. But since Pentecost is fully come, there is this inauguration of everything looking forward to the final appearing of God. Nothing else on the timetable of God himself. Those are the last days. And now, the wonderful thing about this is that these last days are all, as one has said, highly charged with the truth of the final last day. It's as if, What's happened with the pouring out of the Spirit and the, the rushing or the sound of the rushing mighty wind and the overwhelming of the people of God, it's as if eternal, eternity has begun. Glory is shining forth. Power from heaven. All that God can give and will give is now upon this world and upon the church especially. That's why we don't need any other mediators and any other power. We have Jesus and we speak of what we've heard of him and believe in him. That's why the church is this church that has these amazing keys of the kingdom and should never renege on them or Abuse them because they're great things of the Spirit of Christ who works through the Word of God. This is why Jesus, that is the truth of the last days, and that they are upon us now, and charged with glory, and charged with what shall be at the end. This is why Jesus himself said, When he's about to be crucified, now is the judgment. Of this world now. Now, in one way, it's not the judgment of this world. That, was, that is at the end of time. That's what God does at the end of time through, through his Son. But Jesus says in his trial, now is the judgment of the world because now it's set in motion. And then in Matthew 26 and 64, I believe, he, he's speaking again to, to uh, Annas, the high priest. And he's saying to him, he is the Messiah. And hereafter, you will see the Son of Man coming in his glory. Hereafter, from here on in. This is what happened at Pentecost. Jesus was coming and began to come from here on in. The Son of Man in his glory. So there's an electricity about this age. And this reflects upon how we speak of these things and how we should be moved by these things. You see, isn't it the case if we know we've got lots of time, we just can kick back a little bit and not be so anxious about doing anything or or so urgent about it? But if it's the case that we are in the last days that presage and predict and are a part of the end of time, if it's the case that we can see the lightning in the distance and feel the barometer just going down and everything ready for the storm, will we not be careful in how we prepare for the storm and tell others of the storm and and cover up the crop and so on? This is the idea. Of the last days and our response to it. It has to do, beloved, with being in the Spirit. It's what I want to leave you with the Spirit. What happens between Pentecost and today is the saddest thing you can ever, ever tell. This is kind of like Israel, the shores of the Red Sea. Remember that? We're getting to that in our evening service. Exodus 15, she sings. She's delivered. She's on the other side of the Red Sea. And there's this glorious song of Miriam and the women and and all the men, I'm sure, joined in that, celebrating things. What God has done. This is the church here celebrating what God has done. Here's a sermon here. Here's a spirit-filled sermon by Peter. He's interpreting everything in the light of Jesus Christ. He's speaking of the fulfillment of Joel, and, and I believe, beloved, even of the fulfillment of those things of heaven, the blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun turned into darkness and the moon into blood. I believe that that happened then. It's going to happen in a literal physical way, and this whole world will be, will be um, burned up, but it happened then. How do I know this? Because I know Jesus and Peter knew Jesus, and we know Jesus. So we know. Now how do we know? Reverend I don't know. The archaeologists and, and the geologists and the meteorologists haven't told me that that's possible. How do we know? Here's how we know, because of the cross of Calvary, when the sun turned dark, and the moon, perhaps the Passover moon itself was turned a blood red, but not sure how that works, the fact is, ever since Jesus shed his blood, everything even is etched into the creation itself of this event. Who can deny that the darkening of the sun on Calvary was significant? In fact, it is. And the pouring out of the Spirit and speaking of that sign, which had already taken place, reminds us of the significance of the blood of the Lamb and of the darkness that he endured. For that's the judgment upon sinners, but that's the salvation of sinners. Pentecost reminds us of Jesus, or we better go home. Pentecost is not just about this loose, wild spirit. He's the spirit of Jesus. He's the spirit of the crucified Savior, and he points the church back to Jesus. And that's why the sermon of Peter Cut. You note that after he's preaching and the Jews say, what shall we do to be saved? He says, believe on the Lord and you shall be saved and so on. But they were cut to the heart because he just rebuked them that you had taken the Messiah, the promised Messiah, and by your wicked hands, you'd had your way with him. Beloved, Pentecost is about this, if nothing else. Nobody has his way with God. God will have his way he moves heaven and earth. He darkens the sun. He turns the moon blood red. And this is all about Calvary. And the judgment day will be about that as well in the light of Calvary and the great, great sacrifice of Jesus. You note know that, beloved? The Bible says this is a most notable day that's to come. And we should live every day in light of that notable, awesome day of the Lord to come because really it's come already in a foretaste of Pentecost. And how do you do that? How do we live as if the end of time is what we really look forward to? And as if Pentecost was like our birthday. The, the sign of our new birth and and of the great things of God's significance through us and as a church. How do we live that way? Oh, beloved, must be in the Spirit. Sadly, the Spirit poured out, leaks out of many a soul. It can happen. The Bible says we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and it does, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. The Bible says or exhorts us to walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit in Romans 8. Well, then it can happen. We can be those who are grieving the Spirit, quenching the Spirit, not walking by the Spirit, not filled with the Spirit, not moved by the Spirit. Instead, we like the next thing we can buy. And the things that money can't buy, they're little to us. And instead of being disciplined... And I mean it, we're in the army. Not just me, you, all of us in God's army. Instead of that, we go AWOL. Or we have some spirit of enthusiasm maybe, like many do in the history of the church. Enthusiasts, we call them, whose spirit is let loose from the word. Martin Luther, when he was told about the fanatics who were loose from the word and and much in their ecstatic experiences and so on, he said, I would smite that spirit on the snout because a spirit that doesn't have a word is not the spirit of God. It leads us to this. If if we have the Holy Spirit and, and if we are really charged by the day of the spirit in which we live, we will be those discerning, and young people. We will look out, try the spirits, plural, to see whether they are of God. John says, First John four and following. Many spirits deny that Jesus has come in the flesh; they deny the incarnation. Therefore, by definition, they are lying spirits, because the Spirit teaches of Jesus, there is nothing to say to you and from you, except things of the devil and the lie. So we must have a spirit who dwells in us, and then it will be that the word of Christ dwells in us richly, Colossians chapter 3. And we love the Bible, and we love to speak the truth. We love to prophecy. Beloved, I stammer a few things here, but of course... If we would be in the Spirit, we would bear the fruits of the Spirit. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what season it is or if things aren't going well for us. Beloved, if things aren't going well for you, is not God doing all things well for you? Let's think about that. Is God here exhausting Himself at Pentecost? Is this the death of God as it was in the flesh on Calvary? No, this is the life of God. This is the energy from on high that blows you away or you don't understand it. This is the Holy Spirit, so we cannot help but be holy in these last days when heaven has come and in which we are being propelled year by year to heaven. And so we'll avoid the heresies of people, for example, who imagine that all of the miracles of, of Pentecost are to be replicated today. I don't have time to go into that much, but so the gift of tongues and... I suppose the fire on the heads, that's to be replicated, but especially the gift of tongues. Or here they'll say, look, young men shall see visions, old men shall dream dreams. Let's just think of that. What they say is, that's for today. So we have the Bible, but that's not enough. We have visions and we have dreams. And by the way, I I have a vision for you. And I I had a dream about you. And let me tell you about that, I'll say to you must be real because I had it, I experienced it. Beloved, this is nonsense, it's worse, it's diabolical. What it does is deny that the things of the formative years of the church are only for the formative years of the church, the beginning of the New Testament church. What was happening here is... The Spirit poured out for the laying of the foundation of the church. The Spirit poured out so that the apostles themselves would be inspired to write the complete New Testament. After that, the foundation is laid, and the Bible itself becomes this inspired, infallible thing, this word from heaven by the Spirit, the word of Jesus, that's sufficient for everything of doctrine and life. The Old Testament, yes, they... They spoke in visions and dreams. You can see that. If a man, he speaks the truth of God, he's a man who had visions and dreams. That is, revelations in the daytime, visions and revelations at night in his dreams. And so that's how God spoke often in the Old Testament. Not everybody had it, though. Just some had visions and dreams. But here, you see, this is all people. And What the apostle is doing here is reminding us that this is the beginning of the New Testament and it was in the case of the early church in the book of Acts, you can read this, that people had dreams and people had visions and Paul had visions and Peter had a vision of of the unclean and the clean animals and God says, arise, kill and eat and so on. And Peter says, no, he wouldn't even listen to the vision because it was so contrary to anything he knew as a Jew. And now, beloved, the Bible is given. Apostles had the gift of signs and wonders, and there were signs of an apostle, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. and, And these things are written so that what is formative might not be considered normative. There's a difference. The norm is a law. Here in the baby church, its foundation being laid, there were visions, there were dreams, there was, look, look, these signs from heaven. And this all to point to Jesus and to mature the church and be ready for the day on which men would start building on the foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets. So we have to be careful about that. There's people of all kinds of eschatological errors. They imagine, for example, that if the Spirit is come... Here's what it's going to look like. And if we're really being spiritual, and I say and exhort you with all the spirit within me, beloved, they're saying that victory in the church looks like something. Like what? Increased numbers. Worship that's really fancy and fine and dandy and it draws everybody in by its being entertaining and by using all the media that is available to us in these days and and using business-savvy strategies to be an influence in the world. Victory, people say, is ahead of us because the spirit is poured out and and we're so excited about it and we're going to make a difference here. And the kingdom's going to come, one political uh, candidate elected after another and one policy overturned after another, beloved. Maybe. But definitely the spirit comes this way and the kingdom comes this way in quietness. In conversion, and in sinners being turned to God and on their knees, and in ordinary things, in your life being transformed, in my life, in our marriages being strong, the church of Christ preaching its big gospel of the big and holy spirit through whom God says, I love you, and I, I love you for Jesus' sake, and I will never leave you nor forsake you, And I would comfort you now personally in all your life. I give you my spirit for your comfort and peace. Not as the world gives. Not for a kingdom that comes with observation. It comes not with observation. Not for a kingdom of this world. It is not of this world. Not so that we can compete with the other churches or the other institutes or the government or anything else that has been considered successful in this world, that would be to go back to Babel, wouldn't it, and the church leading the way. God, keep us from such success. Just be faithful. That's all God says. Be faithful. Be faithful in all your calling in life, one step at a time. It's the last days, maybe your last days, be in the Spirit. Be guided by the Word to Jesus. To be guided by Him is to be guided up. May God revive us. May we be in the Word, in the Spirit, praying. And if you don't feel like it, beloved, show up! Because it's notable this day that the Spirit who comes here is that same Spirit that was at. The beginning of time, creation, the spirit hovered upon the face of the waters, making something out of nothing. That's what the spirit does. you nothing. God can make something out of you, even a true believer. you nothing. Your life seems wasteful and, and just a waste up till now. God can do with you something and make something out of nothing and something, a something life out of a nothing life. And then remember that the very first work of God was to make something out of nothing and the spirit was there with the word, but then there were all these other works in the 6 days of creation so that the things that were made this blob of earth was formed into some things out of the blob Individual creations were made and formed. Substance was given to the the blob, and this is what the Spirit does. To the blob of our Christianity, to the lackluster sermon-making or witnessing, God gives substance. The Spirit is for substance and individual creations of God doesn't matter who you are, how big you are, how small you are. Men, women, red, black, brown, yellow, white, doesn't matter. God makes for his church this great beginning of the New Testament. Pentecost fully come. Just before the coming of the great and awesome, notable day of the Lord. Amen. We pray, Father. Would you bless us with your spirit? And Lord, if any resist the spirit, hear. If any are grieving the spirit and showing this by resisting the word of God, Lord, give them to repent and give us all to repent. To the degree we've fallen asleep and become lukewarm, Forgive us. Lord, work in us the fire of the Spirit, the life from above. May we be uh, those prophets and priests and kings as of old. May our sermons cut to the quick and we be cut to the quick. And may we be those who are light in this world, evangelists in the name of Jesus, who will not be denied and who's coming again. In his name we pray. Truly, we are praying. Amen.